0: Trojan fans, welcome to the Fair Style Podcast on a Tuesday. Today we're going to talk USC Trojan football with Dan Weber and Keely. If you have any questions or comments for the show, we appreciate it. Drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com or call or text us at 424-254-9141. Please subscribe on any of the podcasting platforms. Leave us a positive feedback, five-star rating and reviews. We love those, especially on the Apple Podcasts. You can do that. Uh, Apple Podcasts, five star ratings. Say something nice about the show. We appreciate it. Or say something critical. We're fine. We just want to hear from you. Get what your positive feedback is. Any kind of feedback, we love that. And Keely, your is joining us right now. Follow her on Twitter at Keely is my name. Keely, do we have any any new reviews on the uh, the Apple podcasting app?
2: Uh, we do. We have two new ones. They all, they both came on a Thursday, which is interesting. A one from Randy V Five, he says, "Thanks for keeping us informed. Great podcast. I honestly tried to drop a sassy review like the podcast of champions, but I would just feel terrible. You all are great, even Ryan. So he gave us wow. five stars. Yeah. So look at that." And then Tame Lane said thoroughly enjoyed the analysis and opinions and discussions on all things USC football. Uh, Ryan does a great job and Dan Weber has so much wisdom. He could be paid to be a consultant for Clay Helton. Seriously. <laughs> and he also left five stars.
0: Nice. It, no, no love for Keely from that it's review. Cool.
2: It's cool. All that's good. That's
0: fine. All right. Cool. Well, that's Keely. You're follower on Twitter. At Keely is my name. We got Dan Weber. What's up, Dan? How are you today?
1: Doing good. Doing good. Uh, enjoying, uh, Kind of, well, I don't know if I am, actually, now that we think about it, enjoying uh, whether it's going to be uh, a football season or not. Uh, I think I thought 10 days ago, hey, we're in good shape here. And today, I'm not so sure. Where exactly are we and what does football season look like? So it's a little bit of one of those times where you just, again, aren't so sure.
0: Yeah, 100%. I agree with you. Dan's got sorcerers calling. I'm on the phone all the time. Uh, I'm going to talk about what Dan just said. I want to thank our sponsor, Trader Joe's, before we jump into anything. Go to TraderJoe's.com, like I like to do. Something will catch your eye. Today, it was the organic sugar cones. I saw the ice cream on the page. I'm like, boom, I want to get some of that. And I've, I've been more of an ice cream cone guy when I was a kid. Later on, I've got more of the bulls thing. But then you look at this, you're like, I want to get like a couple of scoops, put it on one of these organic sugar cones from Trader Joe's, boom, and you're done. So I want to try those out. Make sure you guys, too, this is what I'm going to try next week. I'll let you know how they go. Organic sugar cones from Trader Joe's. They've been great for us. Um, Dan, I'm in the exact same boat as you. I felt like a few weeks ago, all right, everything's on pace. And even right now, if you look at it, people are still on pace for the schedule that you have to get ready for the college football season. But, man, I mean, I'm actually in Phoenix, Arizona, Scottsdale, Arizona, right now, was leaving Los Angeles. I leave L.A. They close all the beaches. They close everything down. I get to Scottsdale. They close all uh, the bars. They close everything down. Um, Things are going in the wrong direction, unfortunately. And you're hearing about so many positive cases for all these players that are coming back to campus. The NBA might not even make it work in a bubble. Like they might even make like just being in a bubble work. The the chances of college football working right now, Dan, just seems so much more slimmer than what I thought would be just a few weeks ago. So I don't. I'm I'm more of an optimistic guy. I'm not the pessimistic guy. But holy cow, man! I I just feel like this is uh, things are not going the right direction right now.
1: Yeah, I I think you're going to need a lot of really smart, strong leadership. And as I look around, you know, the landscape of, of, you know, looking at, uh, you know, and this is not partisan. I think the, you know, from the national to the state to the city levels or whatever, we may have the worst political class we've ever had in American history. And if you look at the people running universities, I'm not sure I see a lot of, you know, really strong, courageous leadership now you know, one of the problems is I don't see a lot of good followers either. I mean, I, I you know, it's kind of a partnership between leadership and followers. And, you know, to be honest, I think you look at the college football programs and you see, uh, you know, in, in a lot of places, you see some pretty good, uh, you know, direction and you see, you know, kids doing the best they can. When you look at the numbers, for example, of positive tests, uh, you know, they came in from the first wave in the Pac 12 of voluntary workouts and people reporting back. Those are really good numbers. I mean, USC, what, three out of 69 of all in all sports. And, and, you know, I think there were only 10 positive tests in the entire, uh, Pac 12 that we know about yet of all the players, you know, that came back or athletes that came back to work out. So I think, you know, they're seem to be doing their, their job. And if you look at the, the numbers overall, The only number that gets reported is the new, uh, increasing number of cases. Uh, what they don't, you know, seem to be reporting are the fact that the age is coming, you know, to an average age of 37 or something like that. And in the much more uh, comprehensive testing and most of those cases are extremely mild, uh, asymptomatic and, you know, the death rate keeps going down, uh, and, You know, we're not seeing an overwhelming situation. You you know, if there is one place in the world, like, you know, Phoenix, where you are, uh, where the ICU units, or Houston, uh, the two places where they say, "Uh uh-oh, they're getting close to the numbers, um, that's the only reporting we get. We don't get reporting, you know, on the rest of the country where maybe the ICU units aren't threatened with being overwhelmed, which was the first, you know, reason for this, you know, shutdowns and the lockdowns was to prevent the hospitals from getting overrun. That doesn't seem to be the case. And I know there are people think that we're changing the goalposts and all of that, but, uh, I don't know. I don't know how this all works out. Maybe again, though, in two months, who knows where this all might be with the things that start happening with bringing college, you know, athletes back onto campus. And if it doesn't get you know to a place where everybody says oh this is a problem maybe we just you know kind of stumble into the season i don't know how they're going to handle uh, you know attendance and, and crowds and people with the games and all that and and you know as i wrote the other day i think that's a big problem i i just don't see maybe you could run the nfl as a television only or almost all television viewer sport but i don't see college football without fans i just i don't think it's really college football i i just think you know if you have to back it off a month you have to back it off uh you know till the spring semester uh i think you'd rather do that and play with fans than not do it and yet you know you got all kinds of issues there because you got all the sports uh, you know running together football and basketball but that's going to happen right now if they get the nba going and if they get hockey going and if they get baseball going, you're going to have a lot of sports running at the same time uh, uh, now. So uh, we got a lot of, you know, issues, unprecedented. Things have never happened before. How do you even come up with a plan? Uh, and there used to be people running the NFL, running the NBA, running Major League Baseball even, who you said, wow, okay, that guy's really in charge. I'm not sure that's the case now. When you look around and try to say who's who's in charge here, I don't know. We see that guy or yeah, gal, I, especially
0: in college football. There's no czar. I mean, at least you could you could argue what Roger Goodell does, but he's like running the show. We don't have that in in college football. And I, I we got to give Keely some props because she was the more pessim- she was a little more pessimistic maybe than we were about this for the whole time. Like I don't see how this is going to happen. Keely, are you where are you at now with how this is going to happen? Are we going to get college football?
2: I mean, I like you said, I never changed my tune from March if you go back. I just didn't see how logistically it would work. I mean, it sounds like from people I'm talking to now that like it's getting more you more people are coming back on campus, the people in charge, trainers and doctors and even those in the admin and I'm not talking about just USC. They aren't really sure how feasible it is to have a full on season. And so that's why back in March, I just don't know how feasible it is. I think even if you have to move it back to January where we might get a better handle on things, that makes more sense. So for me, I haven't really changed my opinion. Um, that's why, like, when Memor- Memorial Day came around and, like, the beginning of June when everyone kind of collectively decided we were over it, I just didn't understand it. And then now we're kind of seeing what happens when we decide that. So for me, Nothing's really changed, and it's the same tune for me. I just it doesn't seem logistically feasible. And like I said in the last podcast, I think we have to see where we are towards the end of July to even know what we do in August. So for me, it's rapidly changing based on how we're handling this as a, as a, at state levels. I mean, it sounds like Newsom wants to kind of put together a state home order again. So to me, it's rapidly evolving, yeah. and I don't think we can fully decide what happens in September right now, let alone in the future. So for me, nothing's really changed. I've always been the skeptic here and I think it's paying off a little bit right now in this podcast, but,
1: uh, yeah, I I I think one of the things that USC might be right in the forefront is how do you set up a game? Let's say the USC Alabama game. Uh, are you going to inform, uh, your opponent, of all the positive tests or the guys that might not be there or whatever. And, and will USC and Alabama come to an agreement on that? It just that's what's one really small little detail of putting together a whole season. And, and right now, uh, I think, uh, the latest survey I saw was that they, that with checking the 66 teams, basically the power five, um, you had a split right down the middle between the teams that plan to, uh, you know, be transparent like USC has been and reveal uh, numbers and uh, the ones that aren't going to reveal any information at all. Well, that's just a teeny tiny part of getting this all going. How do you resolve all the issues? Uh, You know, what if teams say, well, what test are you doing? Are you doing a test that has a lot of false negatives, let's say? Uh, Well, we're not doing that test. You could be putting guys on the field who really are positive, but because of the test you're using, we won't know that. And yeah. then our guys get sick, get infected from guys who didn't get tested properly. I mean, really, it's going to be kind of a leap of faith uh, if you go out and you know play those early games to say, "Yeah, I trust you guys what you're doing," uh, you, you know, back on your campus with what we're doing on our campus and there are a bunch of different tests and there are a lot of tests that have different kinds of results. Uh, going to be, uh, I don't know, I don't know how that all comes together. I'm just not sure. Or do you just go ahead and say, you know, we'll take your word for it or we're going to trust you. And then you're putting your kids in a place where maybe, you know, in your league or your or your, on your home campus, you wouldn't put them there. And then are you going to put them there, you know, somewhere else? I I don't know how do you resolve that.
0: Yeah. And I think it's a good point, Dan, because like USC and Alabama are playing. So they're going to test, they're going to do, you know, whatever. They might have different philosophies, but USC and Alabama will have the resources to kind of figure out what's going on next. If you're playing like Weber State, maybe they tested everybody when they came back with a cheaper test and you don't know, like... You just don't know. There's just so many variables going into this. And I think uh, as far as USC goes, across the PAC-12, you're looking at every state. There's some different states. California was probably, you know, they were the ones that are going to be holding back the most. Uh, Washington had the big cases early, but they kind of backed off. Oregon, they made the declaration early on. They weren't going to have anything going on. They kind of backed off of that. You got Utah and you got Colorado and Arizona and, you know, Arizona was, a, I'm, I'm here right now, the state that definitely had things opening up more. I mean, I, I landed here yesterday, first flight I've had since the COVID thing, which I felt safe because you were like, no middle seats, everyone wear a mask. I wore, I wore gloves, mask, whatever. You don't do anything. I mean, it was, I felt fine like being on the plane, but you get here and then the governor makes an announcement like hours after I landed, gyms are closed, bars are closed, um, you know, tubing. I, I don't know. I guess I had some tubing weekend stuff that I wasn't going to be doing, but there, all that stuff is closed. Um, it's. I think the the Pac-12 schools, for the most part, you had the California schools that were being more conservative about things. The rest of the the, the states are kind of catching up. It just seems like it's going to be almost an impossibility, Keely, right now, to be able to do that. The schedule that we thought we were on, and that we thought we were like moving towards. The full team participating in like mid-July, having like a little bit extended fall camp, and then the games start, you know, in, uh, you know, late August, early September. To me, it just seems like it's in uh, a possibility right now,
1: Keeley.
2: Yeah, and especially based on the fact that USC has made it clear that they're doing things within what L.A. County is advising. And it sounds like L.A. County is going to start to get stricter. Let alone get looser, which they want, you know. So if you're going to the
0: beaches are closed, like Fourth of July weekend. I mean, for I live in Hermosa Beach. There's so much space. Like you would have. There's no way you can pack the beach. Those are closed. Like it's like I think you can be really socially distant on those beaches, and they're going to be closed. So yeah, it doesn't seem like a good thing.
1: Well, and one of the problems is if we are waiting for the government to make the right call. I know now that there are people who think that closing down schools was maybe, you know, there are people who will contend that that may have been the biggest major uh policy mistake in modern American history, that kids in school don't get it. I mean, especially grade schools, middle schools, they don't get it. They don't transmit it, you know, and, and half the teachers are under the age of 45 and they're not really going to have a problem. And yet we're still... You know, just dis, disagreeing on whether we could even start, you know, grade school, uh, in September. Uh, so how the, and that's a, I think a lot bit, a lot of an easy, uh, easier decision than putting college football on a college campus back together. Uh, it's, I just think, you know, would you be able to do it with a month delay? I think as the, I think that's the question now it it is very difficult to see playing games actually the last weekend in August is when they're supposed to start and uh, boy it's hard to hard to see people getting to that place as Ryan mentioned it doesn't apply to UFC so much but if you're playing FCS teams for example as you said with the Weber State and a lot of uh, the Pac-12 for example a lot of Pac-12 schedules have those teams on it that do not have the money for testing. uh, They're willing to give those games up. Those are guaranteed games, and that's not going to be a problem. But if you give up, that's where the talk about, oh, we're just going to play a conference schedule, or maybe you drop your three out-of-conference games, but we'll uh, fill those in with the two uh, conference teams that you weren't going to play. The problem is USC is playing you know, Alabama and Notre Dame, asking USC to drop Alabama and Notre Dame. That's a really big deal. I mean, the Alabama game, you know, we've always heard that that game, you know, pays about $6 million. Um, That's a big hit for USC. You know, that's not giving up the Weber state game Uh, and how that all works out. Boy, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Sorry, Kelly. I mean, to cut you off there. I just, continue your thoughts, my bad.
2: No, you're good. I don't really have much to say after that.
0: <laughs> it's, I mean, I I mean, we don't know, like, there's, where the people complaining here in Arizona are like, why are these closings? Like, is there evidence that gyms are causing the, uh you know, the spread of the virus? I cannot imagine being out in the sun in in the beach, like being a big cause of the spread. But I guess... I get the governments have to do something though, because things are getting worse, you know, and it's just, it's not going in the direction we want to go. The biggest issue for me, you can argue whatever you want to argue as far as like, this should be closed. That should be closed. That should be open. I don't care. There are, we were going in the right direction before as far as like, it felt like we had the schedule was correct. Let's open things up. You'll let players back on campus. We'll do these kind of workouts in smaller groups and boom, boom, boom. And you kind of go across this progression until you get to the full team stuff. You get to actually practice and be on your way. I'm just not seeing a way right now. And I think Sean McVay, the head coach of the L.A. Rams, when they were getting interviewed for the uh, that, that HBO show uh, where the, the Rams and the Chargers were going to be um, you know, on that show, I felt like he said it best where it was like, how can you play football and still be socially distant? If the whole point was we're going to play football, but somehow everyone's going to be socially distant. I don't see how that was going to be, going to happen. Yeah. Linemen are wearing like masks and face shields over their head. Like it football is just not a socially distant sport. So I don't know. Maybe this was like a pie in the sky kind of thing, but. I'm much less optimistic now that we're going to have a regular football season than I was just a couple of weeks ago.
1: Yeah. I mean, socially distancing and voluntary summer, summer workouts. uh, You can put those two together, socially distancing, college football practices and games. That's a contradiction in terms. You can't have social distancing and college football. You can't. So, When you make this decision, you've got to be willing to say by the end of it, uh, by July, we're not going to be socially distancing. You know, we're not going to have to work out in groups of eight with a trainer and a, uh, you know, a a strength guy. Uh, We're going to have the whole team together. We're going to have huddles. We're going to have people hitting one another head to head, face to face. We're going to have tackling. Uh, If you can't say that, I don't know that. You can even remotely talk about playing college football. And it's it kind of astonishes me that we had lockdown for a couple of months. And then we said, we're going to open things back up. We're going to have bars open and restaurants open and whatever. And then we're going to be shocked when there are more infections. Are you kidding? What did you think was going to happen? The bars weren't open. Restaurants weren't open. And we didn't have as many. Then we opened them up. And we have more. Well, duh. Of course. I mean, what what did they expect? And that people were acting like it's going in the wrong direction. It's going in the direction that it should be going in. Um, but it's 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 getting a much younger population, a much healthier population. Uh, you know, obviously we have to pay attention to the nursing homes and uh, people you know with comorbidities and age groups and all that. But you know, do we have to shut everything down or do we have to have everybody playing by the, you know, the same standards? I mean, do, do college football players really have to socially distance when they're voluntary, uh, you know, working out voluntary in the summer? They really, really, you know, I don't I don't think so. Yeah. All right. Well, we're uh, we'll keep hoping
0: we'll keep hoping that we get some college football. But we're, right now, we just don't know. Uh, We want to get into some questions. We're going to take a quick break and uh, come right back and talk some USC football. So back in a minute. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, we're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. Keely, how you doing? What do we got for uh, questions today?
2: We have a question from Shane from Philadelphia, who says, Ryan Keely and team, with unfortunate injury of Kyle Ford, how do you see the USC base uh, offense shaking out? Assuming we have a college football season, I would think that St. Brown, Vaughn's, London, and McCoy would fill the wide receiver positions with one of step car malapai in the backfield i may be biased but on paper that looks like the best set of skill position guys in the country please share your thoughts thanks and fight on shane from philadelphia p.s i left a well-deserved five-star review thank you
0: shane
1: hey shane thank you very much for that you know and, and and i don't think people are regularly including uh tight end daniel amater baby who. Certainly looked like he was all the way back from the one practice we got to see in the in the spring. And Gary Bryant, who he's got that kind of quick twitch, uh, really good hands, good judgment in terms of of, of cutting ability and all of that, and, and kind of a fearlessness, uh, you know, as a home run hitter. Uh, whether you just hit him with a with a hitch and turn him loose, or or send him deep. So yeah, I mean, I don't think Kyle Ford changes anything uh as good as Kyle Ford is as good as he will be when he comes back I'm not sure that uh his not being here with the depth of talent USC's got at, at those playmaker positions I don't think it changes much of anything this year and and maybe makes things better in future years when you you know spread out some of that uh that talent
0: yeah I think one of the situations where if there was a couple guys that were just bust and you thought they were going to be good and cal ford steps in and does a great job i I think there's a lot of talent there and cal ford's going to come back from we you know go back and listen to the interview just i think he's going to be stronger than we've ever seen him and he's going to be great but i don't think he's going to be great until 220 you know 2021 which is unfortunate but i think usc's got plenty of skill position guys right now that they'll be fine it would have been great to see him now but i think we'll see him in 2021 just being one of uh I think he's going to have a huge breakout and just be uh, one of the great players for USC.
2: Mm -hmm. We have a question from Chris from San Jose who says, Hello, everybody. As usual, I love all the podcasts USCfootball.com provides. Thank you very much. My two cents. Dark chocolate-covered almonds are the greatest item at Trader Joe's. Not all chocolate-covered almonds are the same. My question is for Dan. Of course, I would love all of your opinions. In 2016, when USC played Alabama, you noticed that it was amateur hour the way USC set up and prepared for the game compared to Alabama three hours or so before the game. It was like comparison, comparing a high school team to an NFL team. I remember reading how much of a joke it was against Iowa in the Holiday Bowl. If they play this year, do you expect any changes? I'm a firm believer of what John Wooden said, speed of, speed of the leader, speed of the pack. With new, a new AD, Brandon Sosna, and new coaches, would you expect better game, pregame preparation, and organization? If nothing changes, to me, that shows that Clay obviously is stuck in his ways. If things do change, is that because of Clay or is he getting advice from his new coaches and or the new administration? Thanks, Chris and San Jose.
1: Well, Chris, we, have we
2: did. did.
0: Did Chris see how USC came out of the tunnel? I, I thought USC was super prepared doing that you know, bouncing back and forth. I thought they were, like, really prepared. No, Dan, am I am I wrong on that? No,
1: I, I think I actually uh, – I don't know if it was in the pregame notes as I wrote, but watching – we got there so early, and you, you got to watch the – you know, the equipment managers and the trainers and everybody come set up. And I'm impressed that Chris remembers that. But I kind of tried to do a blow-by-blow blow as to – what the preparations look like on the Alabama sideline and what the preparations look like on the USC sideline. And it truly was like they were playing two different sports. Uh, the preparation on the Alabama sideline, the number of people, the meticulousness, the amount of equipment and, uh, and a trainer stuff and how it was set up and where it was set up and the particular, just exactly everything to, specification and usc was more of a and it wasn't like usc was playing on the road in alabama no they were both playing road games so just watching that you realize there was a level of of detail and an amount of uh pre preparation from alabama that you just didn't see with with usc a seriousness almost that that kind of played out fairly quickly you know in the football game and um I don't know. Chris, that's the question. Is USC going to start taking itself really seriously the way, you know, we expect USC to be uh, in that group if they do everything right with an Alabama. We just do. I mean, historically, we have the right to do that. And with the right coach, I mean, what we know at USC is if you have the right coach, you will win a national championship. I mean, it's – uh, USC is one of those places where you can do that. I think Colin Cowherd listed it as just one of four, and I don't—I didn't disagree with with what what Colin, uh, you know, his analysis there. But USC has to take itself seriously. Can you do that if you don't have a John Wooden as your head coach, or you don't have a Nick Saban as your head coach? Can you do that by bringing the rest of the program kind of up uh, in terms of? Uh, the number of uh, support staff in terms of the quality uh, of the con- of the assistant coaches, the competitiveness, the edginess, the, uh, you know, the group that they've got there. Is that the way to bring things up? Uh, we're going to see. I think, is it possible to do it and then for the head coach to say, oh, man, I should have been doing this all along. Hey, you way to go. Let's you know, let's do more of this. That's the hope obviously. Uh, and we will see, but, uh, you know, that's (laughs) Chris, you're exactly, uh, you're asking exactly the right question again, like so many things right now, we do not have the answer.
2: And Chris kind of suggested is clay Helton stuck in his ways. I think we know that at this point based on, uh, coaching hires and, and when to not make some new coaching hires. But I think it's also worth noting that, uh, the way that Iowa and Alabama had their pregame warmups, it seemed very unified, very organized. Whereas maybe not so much now, but definitely in the 2016 Alabama game, there was a focus on individualism and kind of being showy. And that's kind of been rooted out a little bit, but you definitely saw that at the beginning of Clay Helton's tenure. So I think if they were to change pregame warmups, it would have to be way more organized, way more a team element than maybe focusing on the individuals. What do you think, Dan?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's just a kind of a small part. I mean, one of the things you would notice in pregame is how much more physical, like if you're down on the field, how much more physical an Ohio State or an Alabama, uh, you know, would be, or an Iowa even. And, uh, and now we're finding out that you know, Iowa was having, I guess, uh, an abusive strength coach who, I don't know if he's still there or not, but he's not in good stead and they still seemed to overcome that and played together and those guys were ready to play and uh u s c absolutely was not and you know obviously if uh uh Keenan Slovis doesn't get hurt and you know maybe you hang in there and what have you but uh, uh but but Iowa was clearly more ready to play just watching the one practice that we got to see there was an organizational uh Uh, ability with what Iowa was doing that reminded you of what you saw with Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl or with Alabama the last time these teams played in Texas that you didn't see with a Clay Helton USC football team. And uh, whether we're going to see that or not, is it possible by doing all the things that, uh, you know, Mike Bone, Brandon Sosna have tried to do to shore things up after you know, keeping Clay, uh, is that going to work? Uh, and I don't, I don't think we know. I think we do know recruiting is, is significantly different and significantly improved with the improvements to this point. Okay. So that's a chain. Uh, staffing is different. This is not a staff that Clay left to his own, uh, you know, devices would have put together. So is it possible to do? And make improvements around the head coach? Absolutely. Can you take that far enough? Again, we'll find out if everything goes right. I guess we'll find out starting September 5th. Uh, I don't, again, we just have no idea. Yeah.
2: We have a question from Bob who says, Hey, Ryan, Dan, and Keely. I was wondering how the testing procedure will take place. Uh, will they be shoving those long Q-tips up their noses to their brains or saliva or blood? Also, how long will it take for the results to come back? Anything longer than an hour will be useless. One guy that becomes infected could affect the entire team in a two or three day waiting period, waiting for the results to come back. Thanks. Love your show. Fight on. Bob.
1: And we haven't gotten those details yet. And no. there are so many different I mean, and if you've got a school that, say, like USC has a medical school, uh, that will probably change the way they do their testing. And, and, and some of it will be uh, what equipment do they use and is it compatible? And, you know, do they have something different from for athletics than they do, say, at the CAC Medical School? I don't think we know all the answers to, to those questions. And uh, and you're right. Do you, do you go for the relatively instantaneous ones? Um, you know, do you do what people are starting to talk about is pooling tests, where you test uh, ten at a time, where you put ten in the and however you know with the reagents and however you test them. And if all ten, if there's no reaction at all, you don't have to test ten of them individually. So you're not you know it's it's much more cost effective especially for teams uh, where if you put 10 in and you get a positive hit then you have to test all 10 of those individually but uh i think i think things like that are are probably going to be developing as we go through the summer I and mean, that's one of the uh one of the issues of getting you know through the summer is to figure out how do you how do you do it quickly enough and efficiently enough and Without, you know, false positives where you've got a retest or false negatives where you've got people with uh, who are infected that you don't even know about. Uh, those are good questions. I don't think we have the answers yet. I'm not sure how far down that road in terms of being, you could be transparent about the overall results and all that. Will they be specifically transparent about what test are you using? How long does it take to get the results back and all that? Um I don't think we know. Yeah, Bob. And I, I mean, I've been reading
0: a lot about it lately. And personally, I've gone in for three different uh, COVID-19 tests and one antibody test. And then not really realizing that there's a whole different, like, you don't know. The, the tests are different. The first test I got, the only one that I actually got results from for my COVID test, was a cheek swab test. And that was at uh, the uh, Crenshaw Christian Center. I went there. It took me, like, almost two hours to get that done. There was two other ones close to my house that I went to. Those were nose swabs, and I, like, really jammed it up my nose. And both times they came back, they they, they weren't able to test the sample for some reason. It might have just been they screwed it up. It might have been we didn't get enough uh, sample on the, the, the Q-tip thing. I have no idea, but they, they weren't sure why. Um, and the other one I took, the uh, antibody test was more of a finger prick test, which was really quick. But if you're reading more about the testing that different colleges are doing now, what high schools would have to do, what junior colleges would have to do, what, what group of five schools would have to do, there's a cost factor because there are different things, like you said, Bob, about is it an instantaneous test? I haven't heard the 15-minute test for the COVID, but it's more of like a day, you know, 24-hour kind of thing. But they're taking these tests, sometimes they take days, sometimes they take, you know, a single day. It just depends. And you don't really know. And there's a, a factor for all of them about how accurate they are. And I thought a lot of the COVID tests were a lot more accurate when they were. I think there's like a 90% kind of thing for a bunch of them, but there's other ones that are like 70%. The, uh, the antibody test I took, I don't think was very accurate. Um, so it's hard to say. There's just a lot of factors in place. And I think cost becomes a part of it. And if you're going to go with a cheaper test, to let your players go out in the field, like Dan said, I mean, that could be a a huge problem. So um, I I just don't know at this point, we, I don't think anybody knows. I think you have to go through and just try to do as thorough testing as possible, because you don't want to put your players out in the field thinking that they could go infect the other team that could spread through a whole another program, a whole nother state. We just don't know at this point, but there's definitely a lot of factors as far as the tests go. I've done a bunch of them myself and it's the, the way they do them are just different. How fast the results come back are different. Everything's different. And it's just there's a there's a lot of variables when it comes to all that.
1: You yeah, and I, I think the other thing that's gonna change is when you get into a season, if you get into the season, what day of the week or days of the week do you test? Do you you know ideally if the idea you know, if you're thinking, well, we don't want to affect in fact anybody on our team or anybody on the other team. You test as late as possible. But the later in the week that you test, the more chance you have of your quarterback, for example, testing positive. And then you don't even have a chance. Say you test them right before you get on the plane on Friday and you find out your quarterback tested positive. You haven't even had a chance to, you know, you're going to be walking through in the parking lot of your hotel with your second string quarterback. And now he's the guy that's going to carry out your game plan. And yet, you know, if you test too early every week, which would, you know, okay, we're going to test on Wednesday. We'll have you know, Thursday, Friday to uh, adjust. If you do that, then you've got that possibility that on Thursday, Friday, the guy could get infected. I, you know, and how do you come to an agreement between teams that are playing one another? I mean, I guess, you know, at a conference level, you would think the conference is absolutely going to have to dictate when do you test. You know, how do you test? All of that. But right now, you know, uh, where's Larry Scott? Where's Larry Scott when he need him?
0: Make uh, it five million. Yeah, he's uh, fine.
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, do we have any voicemails?
0: We, uh, okay, so we, I'm doing this remotely, so it's really hard to do the voicemails. Uh, we got a couple. They're from our buddy Curtis, so we're going to have to uh, <laughs> oh, hold man. off on them till next week. But okay. uh, my apologies, Curtis, and everyone else, but... Uh, I can't. I don't can't really run them from my re- remote location here. So sorry okay. about that.
2: No worries. Then we have one final question, and it's from our buddy Dan, class of 1962. It says, "Hi, Keely, Dan, and Ryan, the five star team. Quick comment about uniforms. USC has two distinct uniforms, home and away. Both are classics, and they only use them about six times a year. So I do look forward to seeing both classic uniforms annually. Also, there's something about a current player wearing the same uniform as a former Hall of Famer." The comment about defense blitzing from multiple positions was telling. A staple of Pete Carroll's defenses was the offense never knew uh, who was blitzing. If Todd Orlando goes back to that way of playing, the offense will play slower against our defense because they will have a lot, uh, they will have a lot to think about. Clancy was so, Clancy Pendergast was so predictable that offices, offenses could attack with speed. Dan, out of all the defensive coordinators that you have seen throughout the years, who do you feel had the best defensive game plans? Thanks, as always. Stay well and safe and fight on and win, Dan, class of 1962.
0: Keely, was that two emails he just merged together? Because there was like, we had uniforms and we went into defense. I don't know. I there was not a smooth transition, I think. I just. <laughs> he
2: was, I, I read the emails as they are presented. And he was right. just commenting on last week's pod.
0: Oh, uh, okay. And
2: you comment. Yeah, because we talked about would, uniforms on last week's podcast.
0: I was geared up for the uniforms, and then we all got into the defense. And I wasn't sure where we were going. Okay. I
2: should have probably taken a pause, yes, but,
1: but. <laughs> no, it's not your and, fault not, you know, no. yeah, Dan was right about the uniforms for sure. Somebody uh, the other day uh, put on the on the P when USC could run the ball and they showed the uh, the game at Nebraska uh, and uh, what was that 2007 maybe. And I just love watching that and and I, I like watching the fact that both USC and Nebraska essentially have the same uniforms, had them in the, you know, if you'd have played in 1967, they'd have been looked pretty close. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that, to be honest, it makes it hard. Yeah. yeah. Hey, did That game.
0: I think I was, I was there with a couple of buddies I think they throw a 50 yard pass to Stanley Havili from like their own one or something. And that was like the Nebraska knew like, yeah, we can't throw a 50 yard pass to our full back backed up at our own zone. It was like, that was over yeah. at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're right. And then they could just run the ball as much as they wanted and have fun. And, uh, cause that was not a team that had, had, had great receivers and, and they actually didn't need them watching, uh, uh, was it Sam Baker, I guess, and somebody mentioned, and, and uh, Kevin Byers, I guess, uh, next to one another. Uh, man, that was fun, you know, watching that. So, And, and I like the fact that you could go back and watch those games and not see the Ronald McDonald shoes or the Black Sox. So uh, just to throw that in there, they don't need to change anything. I love it that they don't have the numbers or uh, the names on the back. But as far as uh, Dan's other question, I think without a doubt the best uh, uh, defensive coordinator since I've been here is Pete Carroll when he was his own defensive coordinator his first couple of years, uh, and you saw uh, where he was going and what how he was doing it. Now, obviously, they could tackle people; they were aggressive as heck. I mean, they re- they wanted to hit you, and they wanted to separate you from the football and. Boy, does that make uh, being a defensive coordinator a whole lot more simple when you can separate people from the football, you can put them in holes, you can make them throw the ball when you know they have to throw the ball, and, uh, and you can go up and get it, and you can lead the nation in, uh, in turnover margin. I think that was, to me, that was the big change in USC football with Pete and the way he uh, he turned defense into offense, uh, people were afraid. They didn't know what. The, I mean, some of the things they did, like in that Oklahoma game, in the uh, they hit Adrian Peterson uh, early in ways in which I'm not sure he is tough a physical guy, and he's turned out to he's going to last forever in the NFL. He didn't almost want to run the ball. I mean. Nobody wanted to run the ball, you know, for Oklahoma, because they just beat them up. And uh, I think that's that was a big part of, of Pete's, uh, uh, you know, philosophy is you know we're going to be you know, quicker. More, and and I, I guess the other game that really turned things around for USC football is 2003 with a fairly young team, and they go into Auburn, and Auburn was, you know, ranked anywhere from first to fifth and had how many, a dozen guys had gone on to be really good NFL players, and they were excited as heck. And USC didn't, maybe they let them get across the 50 once, I don't know, what, 23 to nothing, and they just didn't let Auburn play. I mean, they basically said, yeah, you're not allowed, we're not allowed, we're going to let you play here. And uh, that, I think, was the big change that Pete brought with uh, the way he, uh, he ran the defense. And you know, he didn't quite have the same people. Uh, when he became more just the head coach but uh but he set the tone and i, I don't think you'll ever uh top that yeah good
0: stuff dan thank you for that um yeah i guess he was commenting on the uniforms from the previous show but i feel <laughs> yeah like p was really good at what he's doing I'm, I'm optimistic about what todd orlando can do uh going forward so uh, yeah i think this is a team that has a lot of athletes on the defensive side of the ball. And I feel like, you know, in the previous uh, you know, system it just you were kind of limiting what some of these athletes could do. I feel like Todd is gonna let them go and get, go out there and just make some plays. Sometimes on defense you can make the wrong decision and still make the play. It's tougher on offense. Like if you screw up, you're probably not gonna it's probably not gonna work. On defense you can maybe do the wrong thing and still somehow make a play. And I feel like you don't want to like limit your athletes and let them go out and do stuff. So we'll we'll see uh dan but i am more optimistic if we have a season like we said um mm-hmm. that these guys are going to be able to do more
1: well I is the fact that they can blitz from 10 of 11 spots on defense i think that's the kind of kids you're going to get at usc and i think they were asking them to read and react too much or think too much or you know whatever in a ways in which they weren't able to practice to that level so i didn't think it was just too much hesitation i don't think there'll be the hesitation i think practice is going to change and the philosophy is going to change so I, I i agree with you completely yeah keely we got anything else or is that it
2: that's it fellas
1: all right well hey good stuff
0: I uh, appreciate it and it worked i was worried about the internet here in my airbnb in uh, scottsdale but it worked okay uh so we appreciate that i don't think we're gonna do a harvey Hyde show this week keely do you guys have plans for a uh, family feud show at all or what's what's your plans
2: not sure uh shotgun is remote right now so we'll see it's up in the air fourth of july is coming soon yes. so everyone's kind of everywhere right now <laughs> so we'll try and see what happens
0: I, forget, yeah, I forgot shotgun's actually remote as well so uh but i'm glad this one works so I'm gonna, we're gonna try to do a podcast from champions at some point uh it might be a light podcast week uh but check back on usafootball.com we'll uh, keep you up to date of uh everything that's going on out there. Um, All right. Well, Dan Keely, thank you guys so much for uh, jumping on. Hope you guys are doing well.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Yep. uh, It was fun. Yeah. Good stuff. And uh, thanks everyone out there for for listening to the Parastyle podcast. We'll let you know what's uh, coming up soon. Hopefully we'll do some more shows. Uh, we got a couple of our staff, like we said, uh, remote right now, but we'll keep going and uh, we'll try to do a, a podcast of champions this week as well. So that's, keely dan i'm ryan thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you next time you've been listening to the peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on trojan football and recruiting